Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. I have a dream, a dream to prance ponies, Papa, and all that I need, Papa, is 22988 bucks, Papa, that's before tax, Papa. And he said, stop talking nonsense, you're going to become a park ranger like your mother, now go sit down and be quiet like any good little Penelope. But I'm not any good little Penelope, Papa. I'm Penelope, and I'm going to get that money without you. I'm going to get that money even if I have to earn it myself. Some Penelopes may range the park, Papa, don't preach. But this Penelope won't change her lark, you'll see, cause I'll teach. With a pension salary, no peanut gallery, my purse will burst at the seams. Cause some Penelopes won't. Some Penelopes don't, but this Penelope will Penelope Cashing in her checks for her dreams Goodbye, ta-ta, gotta fly I tell ya that I'm gonna work and build some financing Teach for a bit and then start advancing Rise to the top and get ponies prancing And if I fail, I still put my chance in Wow! It's all starting now So, Papa, no, Papa You know I won't stop, you see If anyone's going to crush my dreams It's me Hey, friends That was an excerpt from the musical Giselle Latrent, The Gazellephant written by Matthew Hager, my guest today. I love it so much. Matthew Hager is a theater artist living in Raleigh, North Carolina. As an actor, Matthew has performed with North Carolina Theater, North Carolina Symphony, Bulldog Ensemble Theater, Man Bites Dog, Deep Dish, and is a company member with Burning Coal Theater Company. As a musical theater composer, Matthew has written two children's musicals and co-developed other original musicals with North Carolina Theater Conservatory and Justice Theater Project. In 2017, Matthew created Aggregate Theater Company. Since then, Aggregate has produced eight productions, including six world premieres, ranging from stage plays to musicals to audio dramas. In 2020, Matthew received a United Arts of Wake County Artist Support Grant to adapt Giselle Latrent, the Gazellephant, into an audio production to be released later this year. As a side note, you may recognize Matthew's voice from hearing him in Stoneflower, part of the Artist Soapbox Declaration of Love audio anthology. Speaking of audio, in this episode, you'll hear Matthew discuss Giselle Latrent and two of his other original audio dramas for kids and the young at heart, including Stuck Stories, a five-episode series, and the bonus episode, Peter the Hippo, Spotted, Blotted, Polka Dotted, which you'll hear a bit of during our conversation. Matthew shares his process for creating these audio pieces, and he also shares his thoughts about writing for children and the power, flexibility, and meaning-making of story for all ages. 
There's some beautiful stuff in here, friends. I'll include links in the show notes for all of the things as usual. Enjoy this episode. Hello, Matthew. Thank you so much for making some time to speak with me. I'm so glad to be here. Let's start with Aggregate Theater Company. Could you tell us a little bit about what Aggregate is and how you have transitioned your work during pandemic times? Sure, sure. Yeah, so uh, Aggregate is a uh, a project-based theater company that I started um, several years ago now, three or four. I started it with the really the hope of trying to reach a, a younger theater going audience is, is what I call it. And, and, and younger can mean a, a lot of different things. My thought is younger as in younger than the the stereotypical theater audience, <laughs> which could be my age group, which is like a young professional group in their 20s and 30s. Also, uh, uh, you know, children as well. Really, we try to do projects that, that target that group, uh, ideas that are going on with that group, or certain productions that are presented in a way that might be particularly enticing or interesting to kids or young professionals. So you have a history of performing live in what we remember before pandemic right. as a theater style. Then over the course of last year, you transitioned into more audio work? Yeah, so it, it kind of made sense <laughs> um, as as we were all getting locked up in our houses and, and not allowed to be around each other. As I found with a lot of things that I, I, I do or write, it, it, I'm processing feelings that are going on within myself. And so an idea for a story came to me and I started writing it out and didn't really know if it was I was going to ever produce it or not, but was at least enjoying having something to do during COVID early on mm-hmm. last May. Then it, it turned into something that my my girlfriend and I actually read parts for and then something that she convinced me like let's actually just do this yeah yeah the the audio drama was a a convenience thing but also i i love audio dramas i since i was a little kid uh, i listened to to audio dramas and and just love that world and how um i guess how like intimate it is with the listener and and the artist it, it just it's so fun i'm a big believer in in things being done in their intended platform. I think things are best when they're done in their intended platform, I should say. And so I wanted to, instead of take a, find a script that I connected with, with the feelings I was having, and then put them, uh, put a theater script into radio, uh, was to create something for this world that we're in currently, both uh, thematically, the world we're in currently, and then also what was accessible as far as performing arts. So I think that what you're referencing is your series, Stuck Stories. And that was written directly to audio. You did this kind of in the opposite way that I did. So I started with theater scripts and I tried to make them into audio pieces. And then I started writing directly to audio. But you went straight forward right into audio. Let's talk about Stuck Stories. You mentioned a little bit of why you made it and how, but I want to hear more about this like your jump into the audio world with that piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. It, it was kind of diving diving in um, headfirst. Stuck Stories is a, a family audio drama, and the, the two main characters in the show are brothers and sisters, Clarabelle and Brady, that are up in the mountains uh, on a family vacation on the uh, one-year anniversary of their mother's death. And their father's away in town getting supplies, and an avalanche comes and, and traps them in their house. So- mm-hmm. 
have a setup of people being trapped in their house and which was exactly how I was feeling at the time and thought, you know, maybe a listening audience could relate to the the idea of, of the audio production. It, it was something that I'd listened to a lot through the years and I love podcasts. And so it was something that I felt I I felt an itch to to dive into. And this felt like a way to uh, as good a time as any to try something new. And there were things about audio drama that in the absence of theater remind me of the things that I love about theater. Uh, like I mentioned, mm-hmm. the intimacy, uh, I think. There, there's, a, there's a direct relationship between performer and audience in, in audio drama or audio productions. Similar to that there is a direct relation between audience and audience in theater. And that's something mm-hmm. that I really love about live theater and something that isn't, at least in my experience, isn't as present with film, if present at all. And so I really love that co-creation of it. It's it's a different relationship with audio dramas and, and theater, but it's still it's exciting to me and a way to en- I was looking for a way to still engage the aggregate families, the aggregate audiences in this time when we were disconnected from them. And, and so by tapping into the audience's imagination with the actors' voices and what actually ends up being performed in the minds of the audience is something different and unique from what I intended or, or what I have in my head or what any other listener has. It was something really, uh, something really beautiful to me um, in this time of isolation and disconnection. As you were writing Stuck Stories, how did you write for audio differently than you would have written for the stage? Because you could have done this on a stage in a theater and it would have been a different script. What did you keep in mind or what changes did you make as you were writing? There's a lot that's the same. And, and so my familiarity with theater scripts, having you know, written a little bit of them, but also certainly having performed a lot of them. So trusting those same you know, plot arcs and, and mm-hmm. the characters, like that, that stays the same. So that's really nice as a comfort. But with audio production, so much more is possible. I probably would have been way too afraid to write a show where there's an avalanche in it <laughs> if it was theater. A, because mm-hmm. especially if I was producing it, I'd be like, oh God, I have to figure out... <laughs> How am I going to have an avalanche here? You know, and of course, there, it would happen and it would be beautiful, but there's an opportunity for a more realistic or for more realism in an avalanche happening because it's happening as accurately and vividly as the listener wants it to be. And so I think there's more possibilities. There's also with audio drama, and this is something actually similar, I think, with film. It's a more controlled environment in many ways, as far as on the artist's end like as the as the person who mm-hmm. edited the sound and, and and put in the sound effects myself i could control the timing of things and i could control exactly what the audience was hearing uh, and therefore seeing in their minds in a way that in theater you don't have that that control um, and there's something beautiful about that um but there's also you know it's, it's just a different approach uh i can't control whether or not the the audience in theater is actually looking at the stage at the time or they're looking where i want them to look but with right. audio productions, you can really isolate what the audience is experiencing at each moment. And, and maybe if I want to psychoanalyze myself, maybe at that time, I was really feeling a need to control things. And so there was something that, that spoke to that part of my artist as well. I hear what you're saying. The newest piece, which is the story of Peter the Hippo, spotted, blotted, polka dotted, that was embedded in Stuck Stories. Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. It. It was a story that, yeah, lives in, in the world of stuck stories as just a kind of a truncated children's story that Brady tells to Clarabelle to, to soothe her. Each stuck stories episode has an activity 
uh, embedded in it that we encourage the families at home to do as well. So that's another way that uh, I really wanted to have a, have a relationship with our audience um, is mm-hmm. to like, these characters are playing this game or this activity to pass the time while they're stuck. Y'all can do that too. And one of them was in one episode, we had the setup to the start of Peter the Hippo story and then encouraged our audience members to write the rest of it. And so I ended up doing that myself as well as as COVID continued and there was more time to fill. Uh, and so I ended up writing a, a full version of, of Peter the Hippo, which I call Spotted, Blotted, Polka Dotted. And then we even had you know listeners send in their stories as well. And so I included one of those in the Peter the Hippo episode, bonus episode of, of Stuck Stories. Let's do a timeline. Okay. When did you write Stuck Stories? Stuck Stories was, I think, in May of 2020. So I probably started writing the first episode mid-April and then wrote the first episode and then didn't do anything with it for two weeks until my girlfriend's like, you need to do something with this. <laughs> and so I, I did. So we, we recorded it and put it out. When we put it out, the only episode I had written was the first one. And so it became, a, 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 I had kind of an idea in my head of it would be a five episode arc and that felt about right. I had no reason to really base that in anything other than yeah. five episodes sounds nice, right? And so then the the fun for me as, as an artist with nothing else to do at the time was each week I wrote, recorded, and produced an episode. So it was it was really living in this intense world of, oh my gosh, I have a deadline. I had the grace and the challenge of a, of a deadline every week. And so I cranked out a lot of material and there's something about that that I think made the feelings in the show very immediate to whatever was happening in the world and how things were changing, whatever I was processing at the time, because they, there was no time for me to like, I don't know if this is the right thing or not, but it's what I'm feeling. So we'll just put it on the page. Right. That's really fast. You, I mean, you were really moving with a purpose. It was, it was basically my life for those five weeks that, that we did it, which again, was a luxury of the beginning quarantine. There were so many difficult things, but I realized this may not be an opportunity I ever have again in my life. And it's exhausting. It's not sustainable, but it's something that I can do right now for now. And um, it was exhilarating. So then when did you write the fleshed out version of the bonus Peter the Hippo story? When did that happen? Actually, towards the end of Stuck Stories, I think, because RDU on stage was having an interview or was was hosting a uh, drag queen story hour uh, virtually. And they wanted another story. They had recently interviewed me for for one of their like Zoom chats, and uh, and so Lauren uh, of RDU on stage asked me to if I would be interested in writing a children's story for them to have read at the Drag Queen Story Hour. And I thought, well, I don't, I don't you know, I don't have really any stories I'm sitting on right now, but I could flesh out this this hippo story that I had, had just had in Stuck Stories. So I took the weekend and wrote out Peter the Hippo, and and that's kind of when that happened. But at that point, it only existed as a children's story to be read by somebody else. Months later, um, much later, I guess it was, and I think actually New Year's Eve is when we released the Peter the Hippo story as the aggregate audio production that it is. It's a nice, lengthy piece. It's 15 minutes long, well, including, I guess, with the story at the end written by a young audience member. Mm -hmm. And you do all of the voices and the, the style... Tell me about the creation of this story and why you took that approach. So 
when RDU on stage asked me to write a story, again, I didn't really know exactly what to write. And I just knew if I'm going to write this and write it quickly, it has to be something that excites me. And I've written songs for a while and and, uh, have been writing children's musicals more recently. And there's something with, and I think this is true in many different art forms and many different writings, but structure provides ease or provides opportunities in art, I Mm -hmm. think a lot. And so having the structure of rhythm and meter was something that I felt I could ride. And even though maybe ultimately it'd be slower to write this many words in that time, it made me excited because it was more fun and more playful where rhymes would pop up. And then it's almost like solving a puzzle for me um, and, and writing rhymes. Rhymes will pop up and then you figure out how to make them work or, right. or a situation pops up um, or everything except the rhyme pops up and then you have to find a way to make a rhyme happen. And, and so it was just more fun. And, and so because of that, because it was fun, I was able to willingly put in the amount of time it takes to write a story in, in you know, a short period of time. I find reading rhyming stories to be incredibly satisfying as a like as an adult who reads to my children. Uh-huh. I it's just it feels so good to resolve that rhyme. Oh, everything is right with the world, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I I agree. There is something really satisfying and like I said there's a sense of play to rhyme mm-hmm. and it's it's heightened language and so I I think there's more opportunity for us to I don't know, tap more into our imaginations maybe or allow allow bigger emotions or or actions or or developments because we don't feel so tied to well that's not how that would happen in real life. Yes, all of that imagination and delight is activated and I think there's something again circling back to what you said before about in this moment in which we feel I'm going to say we, maybe you don't feel this way, but when I don't feel like I have a lot of control. And so to be able to kind of control the work that I'm making and kind of the vibe that I want mm-hmm. it to have and what I hope the listeners will experience, I just, I'm finding that to be very important. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. And it kind of, not to compare me to Shakespeare at all, but Shakespeare, you know, would make those choices of what rhythms he would use when he would use prose versus poetry, and then Mm. what meter he would use within poetry for different characters to tell us different things. And I feel like, yeah, it kind of does create a tone of it. And it's like, well, that work is already done, you know, and and for me, I like to, when I'm writing something, kind of just watch the characters in my head. And I just feel I feel kind of separate from it as the artist, I feel like a scribe uh, of whatever's Mm. playing. Uh, in my head. And so if I can just get a good movie going in my head, then all I have to do is sit back and, and, and write it down. And that rhythm really gives it an engine, um, get, gets my imagination going and driving. And it makes it easier for me and more fun. So despite the fact that it is super fun to listen to, and I imagine was hard work, but also super fun to write, the Peter the Hippo story does talk about some difficult topics. I mean, this idea of resilience and acceptance and self-love. And then that story kind of embedded in stuck stories, which deals with also resilience, but grief and danger. These are big topics for young audiences. I'm wondering about your approach to those topics and why you think they might be important for kids to wrestle with through story. Well, I mean, I think the simplest answer is because kids are humans <laughs> and and they have human experiences. 
And I never want to write something that I'm playing down to them or simplifying because when I simplify the feelings that are in a show that I write or a story that I write, I feel like I'm not being truthful because so often life isn't as simple as some stories, some kids' stories I've read or some children's plays I've seen. There's a a great degree of trust that's involved in that and it being okay for a kid not to get everything that's in the show, uh, maybe because of their age, maybe because they didn't hear it the first time. But then I think about, well, when I watch a show, I I sure as heck <laughs> no don't get everything that's in a show I watched the first time. And so I think providing a similar opportunity for kids is, is valuable because the aggregate approach for if there were to be a kid that were to see every single aggregate show that was you know meant for kids, I would want them to have creating things as a progression. The ideas are getting more complex as uh, I f- maybe feel braver to to have more not taboo stories, but but deeper things that are, you know, like we said, grief is not typically a theme that we put out for kids unless they're in an environment specifically or for grief discussion. Uh, my mother mm-hmm. uh, was a bereavement counselor and and she would run a kid's camp. And so they they would have tons of activities and stories that were tailored for kids going through this. But my thought is grief exists in many different forms. Grief is not, grief is not just death and, and death is not just losing a life. So when I was in, you know, start of COVID, there was so much I was grieving and I knew kids, I mean, kids are grieving things too. They just may not see it that way. And in in a sense, it's a way of validating their feelings by saying, here's a children's story. Here's a story featuring kids for kids and their families that have these feelings that I believe you're having. And we're going to call it grief. We're going to give it that big weight, even though you're Mm -hmm. just you know, a six-year-old and you don't know what grief is. You never lost anybody. All these things that, that adults will say to not meaning to, to demean or diminish a kid, but, but that consequently do. And so trusting that kids can access their version of grief, whatever it is, and the story can provide enough depth that whatever the kid is dealing with at the time, they can find a, a, um, an access point to it through that story. Another, another part of that is as the writer, I don't want to write about things that I'm not myself, you know, grappling with or, or dealing with. And so part of that is because I'm an adult, I have big questions and and uh, and challenging questions. And so I enjoy writing about things that are true to me, but then just framing them in a kid's lens. Yes. And I think that provides important information for children to have a better understanding of the world and also provides a place for adults who are often with those children to process some things that are unresolved yes in themselves um, because I mean I can speak for myself as somebody who was a child of very long time ago we didn't always have ways to understand I don't know these these kinds of more complicated emotions weren't on display they weren't they weren't we weren't given access to them as children in a way that my children are. And I'm so grateful for that because now as an adult, I just, there were things that I, it took me so long to figure out and come to terms with. And a lot of things are very unresolved because the adults at that time didn't think children could handle it or were were made privy to it, you know? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I agree completely. And, and that, that speaks to, I think, the heart of what, what I would consider a successful 
aggregate children's production, children's, in quotes, children's production, because I think adults can enjoy them as well. And you know, we see Pixar lived mm-hmm. off of children's stories for adults. And it's because they're, because they're real emotions that, that they're based in. And so everyone can connect to them. And so a successful Stuck Stories hearing is not just an episode where the kids listen to it and have a good time or, uh, or enjoy it. It's one that brings about an opportunity for discussion with the family afterwards. We're just kind of opening up the little box of, you know, grief is a thing that's present in life. Sibling arguments are a thing that's present in life. Unresolved sibling arguments are a thing that's present in life. And mm-hmm. this is a way to talk about it safely. It gives you the <laughs> story gives you the safety of metaphor for discussing things that are personal. And that's just as valuable to kids as it is adults. And especially valuable when kids are talking with adults, because you have a common thing to talk about. If you both listen to the same story, then you can talk about yourselves through these characters. Yes, absolutely. I love this idea of having common language to talk about difficult things and to be able to bring up, you know, I'm putting my pink spots on display and I feel really uncomfortable about that. You know, it's just, it feels like a safer way, even sometimes a more humorous way to kind of enter a challenging moment. Yeah. And and sometimes pink spots on a hippopotamus are just pink spots on a hippopotamus. And that's okay too. Like it it, it doesn't, it's, it's that opportunity for whatever you know, whatever they're looking for, whatever a kid is looking for, they can find in, you know, a silly story that has a a depth to it, hopefully. And yeah, my, my, you know, my, what my favorite stanza is in Peter the Hippo is, is one that's not quite so like heartwarming necessarily. It's the second one from the end and it's, and maybe some animals never came round to the new braver Peter and self-love he found. No matter of them and the tempest they toss, some folks won't like pink dots. And that is their loss. And the reason I like it is because that it's just one that feels so true. Like they th- have a story of self acceptance and a Peter com- uh, and a, a hippo coming to embrace his uniqueness, which is great. And and it's it's not just an easy story; it's difficult for him, and and he comes to it in the end. But it doesn't mean everybody's changed. And I, I, that's the stanza to me that that stays true to what I really believe in having a story for kids that to me echoes life as at least as life as I see it. But trusting that kids, even if they don't catch that stanza, um, that maybe they understand the tone of it, or maybe they will understand it completely. And they'll think about, well, it doesn't matter if some people don't like me for who I am, as long mm-hmm. as I do. I love that stanza. And that is something that I've been personally, it, it popped out for me because I've been wrestling with this idea a lot. And I listened to another podcast actually where the, the host was talking about peaches. And she said, if you're a peach and people don't like peaches, that's okay. It's not it's not the peach's fault that someone doesn't like them if they don't like peaches. And you know, it's it's fine. It's it's all cool. It's just some people like some things and other people like other things. And the thing that's most important, which you just mentioned, is that if you're a peach, like a peach. If if you you know what I'm saying? Like if you need to love yourself because that's who you are and you can't transform into something that you're not. So so if you're a peach, love a peach. If you're an apple, love an apple. If you are a pink spotted hippo, love that hippo. I love that. That's so sweet. Dripping, he stood as the birds turned to scoff just in time to see that his gray paint had washed off. 
with nothing around to cover up after he stood in his glory, accompanied by laughter. And then something happened. Amidst all their crowing, as Peter just stood there, his polka dots showing, he didn't back down, or tremble, or cower. He stood through it all, stepping into his power. They gawked at the formerly gray-painted painter, but though it took minutes, their laughter grew fainter. And when they had stopped every bark, tweet, and bray, proud Peter announced, I have something to say. Too long I have felt shameful, gloomy, and weak by what you call silly, which makes me unique. I know that I'm not ugly, sad, and distraughted. I am who I am, and that's pink polka-dotted. Let's talk about the gazellephant. Yeah. You received a grant to turn your staged musical into a podcast musical, and I think that the full title is Giselle Latrent, the Gazellephant. Is that how you say you say Giselle? Yes, you nailed it. Tell me about what your plans are for this. Yeah, so it, um, it was a show that was in our, our children's theater repertory productions um, a couple summers ago. Uh, United Arts provided me a grant to turn it into a podcast uh, or, or to audio production, which will ultimately be a podcast. I think it's really exciting because it gives a chance to revisit something that I thought had maybe all the life it was going to have to it and kind of wake those characters back up. You know, it's a thing like when you're an actor, you you read a script and you do a show and you put it away and then you might come back to that script two years later just to read it or maybe you're doing that production again. And I believe that your body, your brain, your soul has been working on that character ever since you put it down because mm-hmm. it was part of you. And so there's a chance for more things to happen in Gazellephant, I mean, revisiting it because the characters have continued to grow and, and get richer um, in my mind since then. So it's it's a gift being able to just revisit it at all. And then turning it into an audio production is really fun because it gives all those things that, that I love about audio production with the sound, with Foley and sound effects. They're another sense of play and, and, and a sense of creation in an audio production that doesn't, is not as much of a priority, obviously, in theater where those things just happen on their own. And it's rare that that sound effects are a primary source of the story in, in theater. Are you having to change a lot of the script or the lyrics to suit audio? The lyrics, I've not had to change too much. There are things with the script that I'm having to change, not so much because of plot reasons. Well, actually, that's that's a lie. There's a unique element of gazelle of gazellephant that is different from other things I've written in which the the audience talks directly to, or the, sorry, the actors talk directly to the audience. And that is an option. We've seen Blue's Clues. We've seen the success of Blue's Clues. So it can happen. And mm-hmm. It can be very endearing. But it didn't feel quite right for, for audio production to have you know, characters talking to silence, um, to receiving silence, not knowing whether or not the audience on the other side would actually be responding or not. In theater, you can kind of, you can judge that relationship more and, and make it feel intimate and have the expect, the expectation of a response from the audience in a way that isn't inherent in audio productions. So that's something I am scrapping for the audio production version. Also, you know, all of these animals are, are, are all the characters are animals. You know, that's something you can just see in a theater production. And so the trick I'm trying to find is how do I introduce what each character is, which animal they are, how they look and all this stuff without just being like, hello, Margaret the cat. 
how are you doing today? You know, so um, that would be the easiest way to have to change the least, but it it feels, you know, it feels canned and, and not very authentic. And so that's one of the big challenges I'm finding is how do you communicate visual cues and ne- necessary visual cues through an audio format? Where are you in the process right now? Are you rewriting? I'm, uh, yeah, still rewriting. I've added two songs, actually three songs from from the stage version. Yes, and, and start and starting working on orchestration for one of the songs. So it's kind of each. There's like three different trains on different tracks, and and they're each trying to move at the same time, little by little. What is your background in music? I took piano when I was little and I just always sang like in church. And then um, my family moved to North Carolina when I was just about to turn 11. We moved to Mount Airy and there was nothing to do. So I started doing theater and the first show I did was a musical version of A Christmas Carol at the Andy Griffith Playhouse. And that's really where I started loving theater and uh, and loving musicals and singing uh, in, out in public. And I just kept singing and singing in choir and then I don't know. It, it was, um, <laughs> I guess if I come from a musical family, my, my mom sang, my dad played organ and all this stuff. So it's, it's kind of in, in my family's thread a little bit. And then I was an angsty teen. And so I had to process my emotions somehow. <laughs> so I, wrote, I wrote songs about all these women who didn't like, all the girls who didn't like me. And so I, that was helpful with my emotions, but also I guess in some way started developing my artist, my inner artist (laughs) as well. But did you study composition at any point or is this all sort of self-taught? Because you're talking about about orchestration and that's pretty complicated. Yeah, it's all self-taught. And and the orchestration is the most unfamiliar thing to me, um, which is now much more possible because of, of technology. So uh, yeah, like the the stage version of Gazelephant only has piano parts written. Mm-hmm. And, and so that was something that I was familiar with. But I, no, I haven't had formal lessons in, in composition um, or songwriting. It's kind of just, you know, hearing hearing things and, and analyzing things as, as I feel like a lot of artists do. They, they hear things and they, why do I like it? Why does it work? Why does it not work? And how can I use that for whatever my art is? And, and so I think it's one of those things of self-assessment and, and trying and learning and listening. I love that. And also kudos to you for including at least, I heard at least one Madonna lyric in the Gazelephant song. Oh, which is it? It, it, it wasn't intentional, but I would love, what, what, what was it? It was Papa Don't Preach. Oh, yes. Yes, that's true. That's Never mind. I lied. I didn't know about that one. <laughs> That was on purpose, right? Yes, yes, you're right. You're right. (laughs) There may have been more. I mean, I don't know. You might be planting, you know, popping these Easter eggs in everywhere. Yeah. Well, that whole the song you're referring to, "Some Penella People," is um, the whole thing is kind of an homage to Gypsy as well. (laughs) And so it it was um, that's one that was written specifically for the audio production because the stage production it just didn't we're running up on on a time limit for it of like it's a you know 50 minute show and that's that's about right for it. But when you split it up into five different episodes in a podcast, then each episode needs to have more than just like a song and a half. And so there's an opportunity to add songs and and um, the audience, their attention is stretched out over longer periods of time. So there's a chance to go deeper um, and, and telling more stories and, and having more songs. Oh, interesting. Okay. So I didn't understand that you are creating a series rather than just like a one shot episode for this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's what I'm going to do. And, and you're right. The, it, 
there's so many opportunities, uh, so many different possibilities with it. But I really like the idea of a serial with audio audio dramas, and part of that is because it allows for more more story to be told over over a longer time because you're only taking you know twelve to fifteen minutes for each episode. So yeah, so I, I do I, I do like that, and that that feels right uh, in for the audio production format. So once this has been rewritten, all the new songs are in place. Where will you record, or have you thought that far ahead? And how many people will you need to bring on to your team? <laughs> the plan is to record at my house. I have, you know, I, I have some some recording equipment here, and um, it, it's it's not bad. Um, so we'll use that, and it's it's worked so far with things. So hopefully that will be enough. <laughs> and because of because of COVID, and and the grant has a time limit on it, so it has to be done you know, by a certain time, um, mm. we'll have having people come in one at a time, um, to record, which will be a unique experience from the theater experience where everyone's getting to feed off of each other. One of the challenges will be how to, how to have that life still be captured in the audio production when the artists are, you know, alone recording essentially. I am so excited to hear about how this works. You are a stronger person than I am to be able to manage all of those separate line readings. <laughs> yeah, I don't know about stronger. Um I am certainly stupider than you. So, uh. no. <laughs> it's going to be amazing and I think that you should do little video like little vlogs of behind the scenes. Yeah, that would be a lot of fun. It's I suggest it for selfish reasons because I want to <laughs> I want to have a window in to your process. It's going to be really interesting. Yeah, and and there really there's this thing that's terrifying about I don't want to say figure it out on the fly because there's a certain level of confidence I have in what I can create, or else I wouldn't be doing this and telling people that I'm doing this. But there is there is an element of like I will have to figure out I will have to do things for the first time I should say in, in this production that I've not done before, and yeah, that's scary. <laughs> maybe this is maybe it's a source for my next children's story, but knowing that something may not be the best it will the best it could ever be but deciding to do it anyway because doing it is more important than waiting to do it the best it could ever possibly be and right. with the risk of not doing it. And I feel like a lot of my life I've spent not doing things because I thought, well, once I know a little bit more, once I have a little bit more experience, once I'm more comfortable doing this, then I'll finally do it. And I, yeah, I know that I've suffered for those decisions. And it's scary. And I've been embarrassed sometimes by when I have put myself out there before being as professional or as prepared as maybe other people. But I do think those are great learning lessons. And maybe the stupidity is just making it very public. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but my my natural state is not to do that. I, it's not something that I'm comfortable doing is taking these risks publicly. And so by a like having an interview with you, which I'm very grateful for and thankful for you to <laughs> be interested in, in hearing me talk. But now it's like, oh, gosh, now I actually have to come out with this thing or having a grant where it has a due date. And like, okay, now I like, it's tricking myself learning. I think getting old is not getting better at things It's just knowing how to trick yourself into doing better. And I feel like that's what <laughs> this has all become. Yes, you can't see me, but I'm nodding my <laughs> nodding my head off. And you know, the the reality is, though, that you have a track record now, you have done several of these. And so it's just you're just kind of scaffolding up, right? You're building on what you've already done. And it makes sense to continue to grow in the direction that you want to. This is the time to do it. And you have the support. 
I have faith in you and I'm glad you have faith in yourself. It's going to be amazing. Thanks. I, I really appreciate it. That means that really means a lot to me. Um, and it also could be a really great play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope so. You know, I, I, I chose Gazelephant over over the other show I'd, I'd written, um, Three Billy Goats Gruff, just because the actors, I think, had the most fun doing Gazelephant. And so, you know, I think fun and play, especially in a kid's theater, kid's audio production world, that should be your guide. If you're following fun, then you're going to be okay. Like, mm-hmm. Even if it's not the most quality, if people have a good time listening to it, if people have a good time doing it then you'll at least have some reward from it and there'll be something to be proud of in doing it. Matthew, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you would like to cover before we wrap up? I'm very thankful to you for talking to me and, and in a sense validating these <laughs> these experiments that, that I'm continuing to do. And I, I think that's that's important too. Like the community, like as much as I wrote songs, like I said, as an angsty teen and never sing them to anyone but myself. And then out of, uh, again, tricking myself into saying, I'm going to produce a kid's summer season, so I better finish these shows, and people are going to have to do them and know what I wrote. They did it, and, 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 and the actors were just so, they took, what I, as it always happens, but the actors took the drivel that I wrote and made it so much better. And, but that, that felt was something very, that I was very proud of, uh, to be able to create an experience that other people had fun working on. I guess what I'm trying to say is just like recognizing the community, uh, an artist community is so valuable and a nurturing community. And that's really what I try, what I'm finding is the thread in a lot of the stories that I write for kids is just trying to validate what is inside of them, whether Mm -hmm. they're pink polka dotted or whether they're, they don't know how to behave at school because they're grieving the loss of their mother, whatever you are. You don't have to be anything else and, and just take that and nurture it and grow it and, and find what's at this, what, what you is at the source of that, because that's going to be something that you can give to the community. And if you're giving yourself to the community genuinely and freely, then you'll probably receive some validation for it. Beautiful. I think that's a beautiful place for us to wrap up. Thank you so much. I am so excited about all of the work that you are doing. And I'm also really excited (laughs) to speak to somebody who is into this stuff. It's just, it's such a like nerd delight that I'm taking right now. And um, I can't wait to hear what you serve up next. Well, thank you so much for, for speaking with me. And maybe some animals never came round to the new braver Peter and self love he found. No matter of them and the tempests they toss. Some folks won't like pink dots, and that is their loss. We each have our specialness that we're allotted. Whether seen or unseen, we're all polka-dotted. I hope you embrace yours, and fully, because then you'll love yourself like the way Peter does. Do you know what's happening with Artist Soapbox? Have your ears missed our original scripted audio fiction? Well, come on and listen to the Declaration of Love Anthology, The New Colossus, and The Master Builder. Get up to dates on patreon.com slash artistsoapbox and become a patron of the podcast. Please see the links in the show notes and at artistsoapbox.org. You can always reach out to artistsoapbox at gmail.com. 
stay in touch. Thanks, friends.